Praise God. Thank you, Sister Trish. If you'll turn quickly in your word to Matthew 14, verse 19. You know, up in the booth, I am going to go to that PowerPoint, but for right now, if you can just follow with me on the verses for just a little bit. Matthew 14, verse 19, and I'm going to read this. And so if you don't have it up there, we're just going to go with that. And he took the five loaves and two fishes and looking up to heaven, he blessed and he broke and he gave the loaves to his disciples. You may be seated in Jesus' name. Several uh, months ago, I was, I was uh, walking through the altar and, um, and I, was, I started praying in, uh, praying in tongues and just asking the Lord to uh, help me to be sensitive to what the Lord was doing. And um, in that moment of uh, time, this has never happened to me before, but, um, and I, I don't know if it was totally accurate, but this is what I felt. The Lord spoke to me and said, well, this is what it's like when you cross over. And, and uh, I'm sure you've wondered about this. I've always wondered, what is it going to feel like when we, when we cross over? If you've ever heard, of, uh, heard Bishop Wright talk about his father's passing away, he describes that, that scene absent from the body, present with the Lord. So there was, you know, and, and as I was going from English and, and what I felt was my flesh to trying to feel after the spirit and praying in tongues, uh, if there was such a, a, a I guess, a, a transference of going from, from one realm into the other realm. I asked my mom years ago, I, my mom uh, was born in China and speaks, or used to speak fluent Chinese. I said, what, I said, when you, when you dream, do you dream in, in English or Chinese? And she said, well, uh, I used to, obviously, in Chinese, but somewhere along the line it just transferred over, and I don't, I don't know when that happened. And so, you know, I, I don't always know when we transfer over from the flesh into the spiritual realm, but I do know there has to be a crossing over point by which God would, uh, would, would transfer us from the flesh into the spirit, as, as Brother Ian preached so well tonight, we are full of the Word of God. We have tremendous preachers, and we have tremendous promises. And, and this church has more rhemas of God and more words of God than than most other churches. And you know, Ian, you, you made a comment, and, and so I want to comment on it. You said, "Is there partial faith?" Well, I don't know, but I would say this to you: There are times when my faith has, has said, "Lord, I believe." Help thou my unbelief. In other words, you know, I, I can see, uh, I can see 700, 800, I can see a thousand, but to see a hundred thousand, that's not so easy, easy to, to, to make that transition, to see that in the, in the spiritual realm. And, and I want to believe that. It's Lord, Lord, I believe, I have faith, but Lord, help thou my unbelief to see this come to fruition. When I was, when I was overseas in, in Pakistan, before I uh, left for, left for uh, Lahore, the, the embassy of the United States called me and they said, now look, if you get in any trouble over there, then you need to make your way to the U.S. embassy. You need to do whatever you can uh, in the capital city, which is Islamabad. And, and I said, well, I, I don't know what you mean by that, but okay. Um, and, you know, what am I going to do? I'm going to run there, you know. Okay. All right. I'll do my best to, to get there. 
And, and, and they, said, they said this. They said, if you understand, if you can get yourself on the embassy compound, you then go from Sharia law, Pakistani law, to U.S. law. And you know what? I'd rather be judged by U.S. law than Pakistani law. There is a whole different law. And in the spiritual realm, in, in the natural realm, we live at one level. But when we make it to that other level, when we elevate to that higher level, we are now under a different set of, of rules and regulations. The law of sin and death doesn't apply to me anymore. The law of rapture, the law of elevation applies to me. There begins to become a changing over once I do that crossover. And in the Word of God, um, the first time a man was ever called a Hebrew was, was Abraham. Abram was called Abram the Hebrew. That's good. Thank you. Yes, that's fast, Kevin. And then the second time in the Word of God, Joseph was called the Hebrew. It's only two times that I recall um, that, that God ever says Abram the, Abraham the Hebrew, Joseph the Hebrew. And it means they crossed over. And, and I first began to think, well, I know Abraham crossed over, but I don't know where Joseph crossed over. And then it dawned on me, Brother Middleton, that the promises of God are multi-generational. And Joseph, in his foresight, said, said, 400 years from now, I want you to dig up my bones, and I want to cross over into that promised land. And if there's anything that I want in life, and I think you want in life, is to cross over. I don't know. I don't know when I'll die. I don't know when, I, you know. But there's only one way off of planet Earth. That's by rapture or by resurrection. And the law of sin and death is superseded by the law of the spiritual realm. So if there's anything that, that you know, if I guess I had, if, I, if I had a goal, it would be I want to be saved and I want to help as many get saved with me. First and foremost, I want to get saved. I don't, I don't I want to go to heaven. And I think, I think for most of us as believers, we want that. You know, you know, the Bible talks about going from, they were provided 40 years of manna. And, and manna, and, and I was studying this some today, there's no process really involved. I, I, they, they apparently could bake it and they could, they could uh, do certain things with it, but it was a very, very uh, little process involved in in consuming manna. In fact, most theologians would say you probably could eat manna right off of the ground. Obviously, we don't know what it, what it was like. But bread is a whole different process. Bread, and if you've ever heard the message in the 80s, uh, I forget, bread, my body, broken for me. And it, there's a, a 10, and I'm guessing, a 10-step process that Brother Wright goes through of the sifting and, and the, the grinding and uh, the baking and all of the things that, that goes through the process by which God can make bread. And, and you know, as, as Christians, if I have one, uh, not criticism, if I, have, if, I, if I look at us as a church and me as an individual, I believe that there are times we struggle with just getting by, just living in survival mode. And the Bible says, now unto him that is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. There's a power, Sister Yolanda, that works within us, that resonates within our, our, our spirits. 
that begins to, begins to work mo- way more and above. And, and when we go from Old Testament to New Testament, it was, in the Old Testament, it was manna. And it was just enough. That's all it was. It was just enough for that day. You couldn't keep it overnight. It would rot overnight. You couldn't keep it until next week. You couldn't store it, store it. But bread was different. He took two fishes and five loaves, and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he fed 5,000, if not probably closer to fifteen to 20,000 people. You know what? That's a, that's a tremendous, for you business majors, return on investment. I mean, if I put a dollar in the stock market and they get $20,000 back, I'll take it. That's a, that's a good return on investment. And if I could say, Brother Roberts, if you, want, if, you, if you want to know how God is going to do the miraculous, how he brings us from, from, from barely 1,000 to 100,000, it won't be by might. It won't be by strength. It'll be by his spirit. It'll be by the spirit of the Lord. And when he takes us and we submit our lives to him and we give him control of our lives. You know, when I walked up into the altar and I started praying in tongues, the Lord said, that's the key. And I'm like, oh, okay, what do you want? You just pray in tongues all day long? I, I guess I can do that. No, no. He said, I want you to give up control. What do you think speaking in tongues is? James chapter 3 says tongues is I, I'm giving up control. Now, I, I know most of you probably haven't had the privilege or blessing of driving a large ship, but I, I've had the privilege of being at the helm of frigates and destroyers and LPDs and all of that. And at one twist of the helm, I had the power within me to turn a, a thousands of tons of steel one way or the other. And so the Bible says, just as, as the helm has control of, of all of that way, just as in, in, in a horse's bridle, you can steer a, a couple hundred pounds of muscle one way or the other, just by a small twist of the hand. That's what I, that's what I do when I speak through you when, you, when you give up control in your life. And if I have one thought tonight, this would be my thought, giving up control to God. If you want to know how, how do we run a hundred thousand? Well, there's a process of, of breaking and then there's a process of multiplication that takes place. When we say, God, I give you control. The, the posture of the Pentecostal, you know, and I was in here tonight and I watched many of you lift up your hands and do this. And you know, you know, I, I was thinking about that as I was walking up here. The posture of the Pentecostal is one of surrender. It is one of emptying out. And it is one of magnifying God. If you look at our logo, uh, look right on those glass doors. That logo has the posture. And I know we don't necessarily like to be called Pentecostals or apostolics. But the posture of the apostolic is one of, Lord, I am giving up control to you. And when I speak in tongues, when I transfer over, when I cross over, I am giving control to God. And that is how God says, at, God said to, to Peter, at, at my word, cast your net. And he brought in a great inhaul of fish, which is a typology of revival. 
he, 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 in Luke chapter 5, at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, he brought in, the Bible says, a great drought of fish. Because he listened to the Lord. And you know what? We can go all out through Anne Arundel County and Brother Simpson, Baltimore County, and Brother Valley. We can go all throughout the air and we can come up with our own deal. But we got to be sensitive to the word of the Lord. When the Lord says, I want you to go into, into this town or that town or this area or that community or this road or that road. It's spirit-led visitation. And I, I know sometimes, we, you know, we, we're, we, I don't know, we make fun of it or we don't know it, we don't understand it. or we don't, You know what? The truth of the matter is we're not that sensitive to it. And so when the Lord says, do this, and that's the revival, we miss that word because we haven't attuned our ear to the hearing of the Lord. I once, once saw, a long time ago when I, when I skied, I saw a blind skier. And, and when, when a, a man is, is skiing down the mountains, which I can't imagine that they would want to do, but they can't see, and they have an instructor close by whispering in their ear, giving them instructions, turn left, turn right, do this, do that. You know, on my, on my iPhone, I have a GPS, and, it, and it, it orders me. When I'm looking for a place to go, and I punch it in, and it says, do this, do that, go here, go there, because it's connecting to a higher source, to a higher to somebody, something that knows exactly what's going on, that can see the big picture. And we can't always see the big picture. And spirit-led visitation, Brother Simpson, nevertheless, at thy word. You know, Peter says, you know, whatever, God, whatever you're saying. And, you know, I, I wonder if Peter thought, you know what, you're the carpenter and I'm the fisherman. You stay with the cutting of wood and stone. And whatever you do, and I'll do the fishing. You don't know what you're talking about. I wonder if that sometimes is our attitude towards the Lord. Do you know what you're talking about, God? And the Lord says, at thy, at thy rhema, at thy word. And so when we respond to the word, you know what? You can't take any glory for that, brother, brother, brother Valley. All you did was obey the word of God. So you did some miraculous great thing. All you did is you were obedient to the word. And then in John 21, the last miracle that Jesus did before he left earth. The first and the last miracle was the miracle again of the fishes. It happened two times, at the beginning and at the end. And the Bible says there is a, 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 a latter, a first and a latter rain. There's a former and a latter rain. There was the revival that occurred in the book of Acts. And there is revival that will occur at the other end of the spectrum. At, at, at both ends of, of the, what we call the church age. And, and uh, you know, I don't want to get into all end-time theology, but I, I heard this today. Um, Brother Stewart shared this with me. I, I didn't hear all of it. But he said at the conference there was prophecies that went forth. And, and, and I don't do it justice by telling exactly how it came because I realized that uh, it came forth in a very powerful way. But there were prophecies that... Uh, were given to Brother Shatwell and Brother Stone King and uh, I, I believe even Brother Wright, Bishop Wright. And, and they were of such a manner that, that the Lord was returning soon and that this country was headed for a tremendous uh, upheaval and, and if I could say it, even disaster. I think the word that was used was tsunami. And I don't know whether that means physical or, or, or spiritual. I don't know exactly what the what the Lord was talking about specifically. But I do know this, that in our nation, in our land, 
Laws have changed. Times have changed. And, and, and the Lord says, he says, in, in the book of Daniel, he says, And he shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and think to change times and laws, and they shall be given into his hand until a time and times and dividing of times. And all I can say to you tonight is the Bible says, Where much sin abounds, much grace abounds. I realize the laws of the lands have changed. I realize, I never believed that they would ever change, not in my lifetime. I never, I, I still, still have a very hard time believing that the laws of our country have been permanently altered and, and are very nearly impossible to change back. And all I can say is that that is a harbinger of what is about to come in this world. That this world begins to change right from wrong and wrong to right. And we begin to disregard human life. And, 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 and all these things begin to happen. And you know that the time draws near when the Lord would return. And thank God, we've been through the water and we've been through the fire. There are two judgments on mankind. And you, I know you all know this. I know this is New Convert 101. Through the water and through the fire. There are two judgments on mankind. The flood and the fire. One's come. What, 4,000, 5,000, 6,000 years ago? However long that was. And one is coming. And you know what? Brother Teets, we're immune to that. There is no judgment for the believer. Because we've been through the water. In water baptism. And we've been through the fire. And we receive the Spirit of God. There is no judgment for the believer. Some men's sins go before the judgment. And some men's sins follow after the judgment. And for us, our sins have gone before us to judgment. On the day of atonement, on Yom Kippur, the Bible says the blood was sprinkled over the altar and intercepts every sin of those that are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and receive the Spirit of God. Our sins don't go before the judgment, but our worship does. The Bible says he is Satan is the accuser of the brother. You know, Satan, Sister Chambers, starts off in Genesis as a snake. And Revelations, Brother Milton, he ends up as a dragon. You know, I'm not saying be afraid of the devil, but I am saying he's making his last foray. And he's going to come out fighting. And you can fight him in the natural and lose badly. And you can fight him in the spiritual and you can win a great victory. I didn't, I didn't know this. I didn't know... I didn't know how eagles, how they got their, their, uh, their prey, but they say that they can take an eagle and, uh, and when that eagle swoops down and, and pulls a snake, a poisonous snake, out of the ground, off the ground, he does not fight with the snake on the ground. He, he takes it into the air in his clutches, and that is where he, for lack of better words, dismantles. That, that snake within the air, because within the air, he has absolutely no ability to maneuver. And he is helpless. And you can fight the devil in the flesh all you want to. Or you can take it to the Lord in prayer. And you can fight him in the spiritual realm. You can fight him in the higher realm. The call to the church this morning. And tomorrow in Mississippi, 
If I could be so bold as to say the call to the church was one of prayer. If you, if you watched any of that service, but the prophecies came forth that there would be a great tribulation coming to the United States. And all I can say is God will draw the contrast between what is right and what is wrong. What is evil and what is good. There will be no, no murkiness. There will be no confusion. There will be no one that says, we didn't understand right from wrong. Because that, those lines are becoming clear. As, 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 God, as God begins to, to, to manifest the, the coming of the Lord. Uh, I, uh, let's go back to that first slide, Brother, Brother Kevin. You know, there, there, there is the promise of God for Antioch collectively. There is a rhema from God. If you don't have them, I could email them to you. There are many words of God for this church, and this is a great church. But there is a word of God for you individually. And you know what? I'm sorry. I'm sorry if, if this sounds bad. But if you all get saved and you all can win 100,000 to church and I don't go to heaven, well, forget it. Big deal. Uh, you know? I want to go. I want to be a part of the, the body of Christ. I want to be on that boat when she's called up yonder. Because there's a promise for you individually. And there's a promise for the church. And, and if, I could, if I could tonight in this few short moments here... To share with you that there is a pattern of the promise. This is this map here, and I know you don't see it that well. And I can email you the notes if you'd like. But this map is, an, is a, a, a replica of the exodus out of Egypt. And, and, and what I would say to you tonight, what I would submit to you tonight, is the pattern of the promise to the Israelites is a very familiar pattern. It was a promise to the nation of Israel. And the pattern of the promise to the individual follows the same pattern. And so, as you said tonight, Brother Ian, sometimes you wonder why you go through it. I, I, I think I would say the past two years, and, 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 I, and I hope you don't think we always say this, but there have been, they have been year, the past two years have been years of trouble and tribulation among, among the church, leadership, struggling, uh, physical illnesses. Um, uh, Mother Wright battling through her trial. But, but you know what? If I could say this, every promise has a foreordained wilderness. The pattern and the promise of God. There is no way to avoid the wilderness. But it is, it is, it is ordained of God that if, if, that not if, when you go to heaven, you will go through a wilderness experience. It is not just good enough to be full of the Spirit in this church. It is not good enough, Brother Milton, just to be led of the Spirit in this church. The Bible says Jesus, being full of the Spirit, was led into the wilderness by who? By the Spirit. Jesus, not the devil. The devil had heyday with him, had his, had his way with him for 40 days and 40 nights. But... Bible says, and he came out of the wilderness in the power of God. So let me say something to you tonight. We, you, us, don't have the option of just being full of the Spirit, of just being led of the Spirit. God has ordained that we, he wants you in the power of the Spirit. You know, I, I, and excuse me for saying this, fellow AMLers, but you know, I, I realize you see Pastor Wright and 
Bishop Wright up here and going to town and having all this to say and the miraculous and Brother Stone King laying hands and all of that kind of thing. But there is a foreordained wilderness experience that, that everybody must go through. So the pattern, the pattern that Joseph went through was a promise and then a pit and then a prison and Potiphar, and, or Potiphar's house and then a prison and then the fulfillment of that promise. And that's when, that's when, that's when he went in. And so I would say to you tonight that, that, that whatever you may be in that, in that, in that process individually, or we as a church, wherever we are, and if I could say this, I believe that we are on the cusp of a great revival, of entering into the promised land. You know, for 45 years, our anniversary service, 45 years, the founder of this church was Bishop and Al, Bishop Chester M. Wright and, and, and Mother Alice F. Wright. She doesn't like being called Faye. Alice, Sister Alice Wright, Mother Wright. They were the founders of this church. And you know, it was Moses' faith that brought them out of Egypt. But it was not Joshua's individual faith that brought them into the promised land. It was the collective shout of the people that brought them into the promised land. So what I'm saying to you tonight, what I'm saying to you tonight, Ed might have been a man with a lot of great faith, a, Naval, a 1968 Naval Academy graduate, Bishop Wright, our Moses. But there is a Joshua. I mean, oftentimes we refer affectionately to, to Brother Wright as Moses and Pastor Dave, Senior Pastor David Wright as Joshua. And it, it might have been Moses' faith that parted the Red Sea. It was at his hand. And at his rod that the Red Sea parted. But it was the unified, collective shout of the church. Sister Haney, it wasn't just an individual. You know what? And if we go into the promised land, and when we go into the promised land, it will not be just Bishop M. Wright. It will not just be his faith. It will be the collective faith of the church of the living God. that goes into that promised land. There's one thing about the the church of the living God, and and, and I don't have time tonight to show you this, but but in in the book of Revelations, we we see that there are seven churches, and the final church, and the revival church, and the end time church is the church at Philadelphia. And she had four characteristics, and she had no fault. She loved the word. She didn't deny his name. She was full of brotherly compassion and love, brotherly Brotherly love. And, and she, she worshiped. She had the key of David. And, and I say to you tonight, Brother Valley and Brother Simpson, what church does that seem like? I know we got our faults. I, I know that, I know, I know that we got, we got much room for improvement. But what church seems to match up and correspond to the church at Philadelphia, the end time church, the church that sees the great harvest? When you, when you study out the churches in Revelation, it starts out really good and goes really bad. And, and the church, the Bible says, the church that, uh, that falters away is Pergamus. And it means married to the world. I realize, Sister Yolanda, you'll be married to Ian. And you're not a Pergamus. Right? You're a Pergaglass, I guess. But the Bible says that, that the church was, it, Constantine brought in the doctrines of the Trinity. And, and, the, and the church married 
the doctrines of the world and to make them palatable to the, the Roman Empire and the, the Greek thinking and begin to, to, to dilute the, the true apostolic one God, Jesus' name, Holy Ghost-filled church. And you see a great falling away. And then the Bible foretells by name that there would be a church that would rise out of the ashes. And, and I'm telling you, I am telling you, if you need my notes, you can have my notes. I can show you, and I couldn't tonight because it would take too, too long. But I can show you the exact, exact Greek names of those churches and show you exactly how in the history of the 2,000 years of, of this age that they have paralleled that. And, and the last sign before the rapture, the last sign before the snatching away of the church will be a mighty Great end time revival. I know, I know most of you have never heard it, and, and I hope you do, and I hope he revamps it. I, you know, he, Brother Wright, Bishop Wright, wrote an article probably 10 years ago, and he wrote about the United States in prophecy. And when you look into the Word of God, and I, and I don't want to overspook this and, and, and see, see things that aren't there, but the Bible talks about the great island to the east of Jerusalem. What is that island? And that the revival would start in the West and go, would go, would circle the world. And I would say to you tonight that, that, uh, and I would, I would submit to you tonight that the United States, that there, there may be a lot of laws changing and there may be a lot of sin in this land, but there's a lot of revival in this land, in this country. No country in the world, no country in the world gives more to missions than the United States. And yes, I realize there are many things that are faltering away. But there also is a tremendous end-time revival that's going to sweep this, this world before the snatching away of the church. The Bible, the Bible literally uses the word, the, the Latinized word harpatsu, and it means, it means to snatch up like a kid in front of a car, a, a dad that would run out and snatch her away. The Bible says she will, he will snatch the church off of the earth before that, that, that great day of the tribulation when the judgment of fire will occur. We've had the judgment of water in Noah's flood, and the Bible says, and if you, if you study Revelations, and, and I, know, I know you know this, but that judgment will be a judgment of fire. I believe that there is a, a crossing over that, that, that needs to take place in our faith, that, 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 that when we... When we when we exercise, and you know you can go down one slide, Kevin. Let's, let's go to that slide. I don't know if you can. You can't see the handwriting that well. But Abraham was the first Hebrew, and Joseph was the second. And in Abraham's life, and I won't go into it a lot tonight, but I'll just mention them tonight. But there were, there were four things that worked in, 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 the, in the genealogy of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In Abraham's life, there was separation and there was sacrifice. Abraham left Ur of Chaldees. And he separated himself from his father, Terah. And he left all that was known to set out and to separate himself from the known world, from his security. And then he took his son, as you know, as was preached last Sunday. And he, sacri- he was sacrificed him on the altar. Abraham was, if you would call the hallmark of his faith, would be one of separation and one of sacrifice. And then when you look at Isaac's life, 
Isaac, Isaac was the one, and, and it seems an unremarkable life, but he was the one that submitted himself to, to you know, I mean, no offense here, but if my dad tried to strap me down and make me the sacrifice, I'm like, look, dad, you can be the sacrifice and I'll be the sacrificer. All right. We're not, we're not, we're not going to, we're not going to, we're not going to allow that to happen. And so, so, so there was separation, there was sacrifice, there was submission. And in Jacob's life, what's that verse that the brother Mott always says? He had a desire by desire, by desire, we separate ourselves from the word. There was a desire and a seeking after God that Jacob had. And we see those four things at work in our lives. One, one, of, the, one of the saddest things, and, and I'll be careful and coy about this, one of the saddest things I think I've ever seen in my life in this church was, was there was a tremendous, tremendous young man of God. And, uh, and I don't want you to guess who I'm talking about. And uh, call of God, hand of God on his life. You know, uh, destined to be future, future pastor or youth pastor or whatever that might be. And, and I remember pleading with him. I mean, you know, you can imagine me pleading. I pled with him. I begged him. I said, stay, don't go, don't go. And, and, and the reason why he left was he said, you know, brother, you, I believe in oneness. And I believe everything that Antioch does, but except for the separation part, I don't believe that. And, and, uh, and, and I won't tell you about his life right now, but it is a disaster of disasters. And, and I say that with, with great sadness in my heart. I love this, this individual. But in my office, he said, I am oneness, and I believe all this, but I am not going to do this part of it. And, and refused to separate. And it cost him, and literally, uh, literally cost him everything. You know, when you put God first in your life, it pays. It pays to put God first in your life. And I know this is sort of off the subject tonight, but, but I'm sorry. I've had a bird's eye view of the young men and women of God in this church. And, you know, not a lot gets by me. I'm sorry. I, I tell them, look, if you mess around, so help me, I'll find out. Because the youth talk and, and don't, don't even try. And, uh, you know, I've seen, I've seen the, the, the horror stories, if I could call it that. And, and great regret and great sorrow on my part. But I have seen on the other side, I have seen young men and women of God, and I won't say who I'm talking about. I've seen a, a, a man of God in, in six months. This is the truth. This is the truth. I, I won't violate their confidence, but literally in six months, double their salary. Since uh, eight, eight months, since January of 2015, the hand of God has been on his life. And, you know, not perfect guy, not a perfect individual, but if I could say it, did everything he needed to do. Put God first, even though there were certainly, there certainly are, are, are rooms for improvement. Put God first, and God has taken every step. And you would never, five years ago, you would never have, have guessed that. In fact, I'll even say this, five years ago, he was headed for probably a prison. And I'm not just kidding about that, I'm serious. And yet I have watched the hand of God work in somebody that put God first in their life. So I'm telling you, I'm telling you, uh, maybe someday I'll tell you, tell you the full story when I can do that. But I can't right now because it's just a little bit too, 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 uh, too fresh. But I believe that the hand of God is on this church and the promise of God.
and when you, when you received the baptism of the Holy Ghost and you got baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, the, the spiritual DNA that was the byproduct of those two things occurring in your life, by virtue of that, gave you a promise and a rhema from God. And, 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 and right now, there, there is that process of crossing over. You know, there's no such thing as a caterpillar that can pollinate two, two flowers. It can't do that. The only way by which, there, 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 and I, this, is not, this is not an exaggeration in Florida, there is a lack of fruit production because the, 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 in, the bees that would, that would cross-pollinate, that would take the, 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 the seed from one flower to the other, has, there's been a, a, a dying out of bee colonies and so the only things that would do that would be a butterfly or, or a honeybee. And so what I'm saying to you tonight, there's no such thing as a caterpillar that can pollinate and cause fruitfulness. And everybody in here, everybody in here, it is the will of God. It is the desire of God for God to work in your life, to bring about the rhema of God, the promise of God the metamorphosis, the butterfly in your life. It is the desire and the will of God for you to fly. Literally, metaphorically and literally. One day, you know the old song Brother Middleton has to go? I'll fly away. Remember that, Sister Singletary? I'll fly away. We don't know why we, don't, we ought to sing that again. But it, it, literally and figuratively, we have to fly. It is the will of God for us to take our lives and to be willing to be to be that bread, to be, to be broken, to be blessed and to be broken. You know, God, there were, and, and I, I won't get into a lot, but there were three things that, that God, Jesus Christ consumed. And I realize he probably consumed more than this, but he can, the Bible specifically mentions that he, he drank, he, uh, he produced wine at the wedding feast at Cana, and then he multiplied bread and fish. Those are the three things. I probably, he probably ate figs. And he probably ate lamb, but it doesn't mention that. And so the first miracle, that, that the very first miracle of Jesus' ministry was one of transformation. One of taking the ordinary, not only the ordinary. If you study out, study out the, the water pots that were used, that, that, that they, were, they were much more like, like dirty, dirty uh, basins of water where you would wash your hands and your feet. And he took dirty water. And he transformed ordinary into extraordinary. And God, God transforms our lives first and foremost. He took, a, he took a soul full of himself, named after the one king, that never went through a process and became king of Israel, King Saul, and was an utter failure, unlike his predecessor, unlike the, his successor David, that went through a process. And so Saul, big in his own eyes, was renamed, became a, became a Paul. We see where Jacob became an Israel. Where Abram became an Abraham. And Brother Simpson, and I, and I think I've preached this before and shared this before, but it was the adding of the last four Hebrew letters, R-U-A-H, the Spirit. Abram, father, became Abraham, father of multitudes. By his own strength, by his money, by his spirit. 
Abram transformed into Abraham. The difference is you add the Spirit. When you add the Spirit of God, then it's not just Father, exalted Father. That was what Abram means, exalted Father. Abraham means Father of multitudes. How do we go from just 700, 800, or 1,000 to 100,000? Because of our intellect? Because of our, 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 our money? None of those things. Because of our talent? Because we're relevant? Because we do a good job here, and we do do a good job here. And Sister Billy does the best job. Brother Jones asked me, asked me, uh, says, who does your worship? And I said, Sister Bailey does. And he says, wow, she is right on. So I work with Sister Bailey. I have to do this. Otherwise, she would. Um, but um, sorry, sorry. I was, I was in the flesh. I wasn't in the spirit. So there's, there's that transformation process from the ordinary to the extraordinary. And, and if I could say this to you tonight, it is a matter of giving control to God. It is a matter of saying, saying, saying Lord, that the boy, with the, the, he fed one lunch, fed 20,000 people. And, 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 and you know, I, I watch Sister McGurk and Brother Milton, I, I watch as sometimes you prepare for these, these little fellowships downstairs. And maybe you have 50, maybe, maybe 100, I don't know, but that's a lot of work. And Sister McGurk, I know you're planning for, for your son and future daughter-in-law's wedding. And, and, um, and, and you know, can you imagine if, if I said 20,000 people you had to prepare the food for? You'd have a nervous breakdown. That is an impossibility. That is not humanly possible. And you know what? 100,000 is not humanly possible, Sister Holmes. I, I, how can that happen? This, this little crowd here, 100,000 people, that the Lord has spoken, look what the Lord has done. And, and what I'm saying is if you're willing to give up control, he blessed, he transformed you, and then he breaks you. And, and we know when I say broken, I, I don't mean just breaks you in half and destroys you. The Bible says broken and contrite heart he will not despise. That is the most middle verse in the Bible. In that wilderness experience. You know, there was something about Joseph's life. He went from the promise to the pit to the prison. And yet he didn't have a nasty attitude. I mean, you don't put somebody in charge of the prison that has a nasty attitude. You don't do that. And somewhere he had peace about that. Somewhere his attitude was, God, if this is where I'm at for right now, I will do my best. And, and Potiphar notes this. And the, the keeper of the prison noticed this, and he rose up. So our attitude really determines our outcome. There were ten spies, as you said, Brother Ian, earlier today. They spoke negatively. They spoke, we are like grasshoppers, and they are like giants, and there's no way you brought us out here to die. And God says, no, you need to trust me. And Joshua, Caleb said, we are well able. And the same faith that brought us out of, out, of the, out, of, out of bondage, that parted the Red Sea, is the same faith that can get us into the promised land. The Israelites understood mercy. They understood, we don't want to be in bondage anymore. But they didn't understand grace. They didn't understand the grace of God. 
that we would inherit fields that didn't belong to us. Brother and Sister Simpson, I'm sorry, one of the greatest testimonies of this church the last five years has been uh, the, the, the group that you inherited and you have worked so well with. There, you know, I watched God take, take some, some young men and women of God that are great, great future pastors. And, and, and God just led them and, 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 and to you. And I have watched you know, these things come about in, in your congregation and in, in your church and how, how the hand of God has been there. And, and we have been blessed with, with a, uh, I want to say, Brother Benner, and maybe I'm wrong, and I don't want to overleave it, but I would say a one-and-a-half-point million-dollar building, a beautiful building, for not even close to that because of, we had a great banker. We had someone, someone that, that, that had the hand of God in our life, and God blessed them. So we take, we take and we give control to God. And we, we, we let go as the posture of the Pentecostal. We surrender. We, we magnify God and we empty out. And, and so, so I'll, I'll say this and it's coming close to nine and I won't go past nine tonight. But there's something about when we, when we empty out ourselves, probably and, and maybe this has changed, and I, and I know he does spiritual warfare, but last year, Bishop Wright said to me, probably the number one thing he did in his prayer time was empty out. And especially when his wife was going through the tremendous trial that she was going through. Lord, I give you, I give you Alice. Lord, I give you Antioch. Lord, I give you my family. Lord, I give you all these things and just gave them to the Lord. Release them to God. You know, sometimes I think it's hard to live for God, but the Bible says differently. He says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so oftentimes, I oftentimes think, God, this is not easy. Well, you know what the easy, the hard part is, Sister Francis? The hard part is giving up control. You know, when I'm driving, I want to be in control. Brother Milton wanted to borrow my, we, we, Take me around here, and he wants to drive it, and I'm like, I don't know about that. I want to be in control if I'm driving. You know? That's just how we are. And we don't want to let God be in control of our lives. The Bible says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, make your request made known unto God, and the peace of God will transcend your understanding. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, give him control. And I will direct your paths. So when we give God control in our life, when we, when we let go of God, and so I, I won't go long tonight, and, and I know I'm coming up here on time, but the Bible, the Bible says, it says, it says, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And, 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 and I've, I think I've preached this before in congregations, but the word in the, in, in the Hebrew for wait is the word intertwine. They that intertwine their life with the Lord shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. They shall soar as the eagle does. They that bind themselves to God. Um, and I, I know I've told this story before, but I'll, I'll close with this story tonight. When I was uh, two years ago on July 4th, I was called to the ER room uh, in emergency. And uh, the doctor or the nurse said, 
Reverend, you need to get down here immediately. Someone in your church has died. And I'm like, who? And, and they wouldn't tell me who. And so I rushed. I was at a picnic. I rushed down to the ER room. And uh, there was an eight-year-old boy. And his name, his name was Kyle Aldridge. And, um, and I really, I had never, I didn't know him. And, I, and his grandfather attended here years ago and just remembered me off of a, a whim and just called me because he didn't know what else to call. So I, no, I never knew the young man. I didn't know his family, didn't know his mother. He was lying on the gurney, and he had fallen on West Street. He had fallen under uh, one of those floats, and he fell underneath it, and his head hit, hit the, uh, the wheel. And so he was already dead when they got him to the, the ER room. And um, it came my, my, uh, my duty to inform the mother. So, you know, they're like, well, since you're here, Pastor, you need to, you need to tell them what's happened. And they hadn't even gotten there yet. And I'm like, good Lord, I don't want to do this. And, uh, and this is, this is, I don't, this is a heavy story and I don't mean it to be heavy, but she, uh, the mother came into, into the room where the young man was laying on the ground and she knew immediately. She knew he was, he was dead. And she, she fell over. She was falling over. She was in such unbelievable grief. And so I, I, I lunged forward and I grabbed her as she was falling. I didn't want her to fall on the ground. And, and I just, I held her up. And I began to pray in tongues. I didn't know what else to do. And, the, you know, and if I could say this to you, in that moment, uh, uh, in that moment of time, that agony, I, I prayed, God, give her strength. And I could feel, and as weird as this might sound, I could feel, feel strength and virtue leave me and help her. And she was able to, to gather herself to face the reality of what had just taken place. And, and I say that tonight because the Bible says when we're, when we're weak, when we're heavy laden, when we take and we intertwine our life with his life, when we, when we give up control of our life, when we give up all of our burdens and all of our heartaches and we grab on to the Lord... If I was to, to give you an, an answer for weariness, and, and I saw it tonight as we began singing that song, and I began to see a refreshing come in, a physical and a spiritual refreshing came in. And, and unbeknownst, I don't know whether you physically did this or spiritually or in your mind, but I just saw, saw many of you grab on to the Lord and hold him tight. And for and intertwine your life around his life. And that strength of the Lord seep into you and give you life. The Bible says that David was under great stress. And he says he encouraged himself in the Lord his God. And the key is he encouraged. He didn't give himself a psych job. He didn't just talk a good game. The Bible says he encouraged himself in the Lord his God. And the word encouraged. And I don't know why. It's translated this way. But the, in, the, the enthusing, the, the, the fusing in, the marinating, the, the giving of courage to David, the word actually means to bind in the Hebrew. So in other words, the Bible says, David bound himself to God, and the courage of God gave him the strength to go on. And it was his last trial at Ziklag before the promise was fulfilled. The last trial. 
before God fulfilled his promise. So I would close with this tonight. That if you lack courage, if you lack strength, if you don't know what to do. And, and I got, you know, you know me, I got five million notes here. But I would say to you tonight, maybe you need to give up control to God. That daily process. And maybe you need to grab hold of God and intertwine your life with Him. Sister Bailey, why don't you come here and we'll, I won't, let's close out with that uh, mercy and grace. And tonight, as we, as we close this service out, I'm wondering if we all could stand right now. And as Sister Bailey leads us in worship, I wonder if you would reach up right now. And release to God every anxiety, every burden, every worry, every heartache, every trial, every situation. And release it to Him. Give Him control. And grab hold of God tonight. Whether you do that physically, God's here right now. His presence is in this room. And His mercy and His grace are abundant tonight. If we'll reach up to Him, He'll respond to us. God always responds to outstretched hands. If you want to come up front, I invite you to this altar. Not for one day I need your mercy. I need your grace. I need your mercy. Let's reach up to him right now. Let's grab his mercy and his grace tonight. Let's get virtue from the Lord tonight. Let's get strength from God tonight. He's here tonight. He knows your infirmity. He knows your weakness. your mercy I need your grace I need your mercy I need your grace I need your hand leading the way I can make it right now to receive from him he's here right now his presence is in this auditorium